Hey, everybody, and welcome to another True Stories of Tinseltown. As you know, this summer, April and I have done another, or doing, we're not done yet, we're doing another series, which we love, on obnoxious, horrible, beastly stage mothers. And um, I want to thank Deborah again, and I want to thank you, April, who is the best partner I could have doing this podcast. (laughs) Honestly, I love working with you so much, I can't even tell you. I love working with you too, Grace. I'm so glad we got to do this one. Yeah, and you, yeah, thanks, Deborah. I also, um, she did a book, interesting, about she was a cop and she was one of the first people who worked with my, there's like, oh, anyway, she, uh, you can check out the book she did. I, I link it down below when I put it out. Anyway, thank you, Deborah. And thank you, April, because you, God, do you hear that thing? I'm sorry, everybody. So, April, why don't you tell everybody who, which, which are we doing today? Which horrible stage mother? We're doing by far the worst of the bunch, Miss Ethel Gum, who is, of course, Judy Garland's mother. And she really is the worst of the worst because... She just Ethel Gum. Come on, how could she be nice? <laughs> I'm sorry if there's Ethel Gums out there. I, it's a lovely name, but I just have the you know the Judy connection with it. So it is a lovely you name, know, Ethel Gums. <laughs> you know, I actually have a funny story. So I have, as you know, I have moved, and Grace and I are much closer to each other. But I live in the same town that Judy's beloved dad is from. So yay. Yes, he was beloved. Interesting guy. So, do you want to start us off? Yeah, so, um, Ethel Milne, <laughs> I believe that's how you say her maiden name, was born in Michigan in 1896. And like every other stage mother we have covered, she quickly discovers that she has dreams of stardom and she wants to make it. She's going to be the next vaudeville sensation. Um, you know, so she's, she's, you know, trying to show off her talents and she's <laughs> one of six and she's not the most talented of her siblings, but she is the most versatile in what she's able to do. She can sing a little, she can dance a little, she can, you know, play the piano a little bit. She doesn't excel at anything, but she's a solid performer. Um, you know, so they're uh, Ethel and her siblings are, you know, playing around town and, you know, they're, they're kind of doing their stuff. And eventually a traveling vaudeville performer named Frank Gum comes to town and Ethel is completely smitten with him. She just thinks he is the bee's knees. The cat's meow. Yeah. She's like, this is the man for me. And for context, everyone, this is like 1911. <laughs> um, you know, so she's just sitting there, you know, she's, she's thinks this guy's great. He's 10 years older than her. You know, he's worldly, he's charming. He's from the South and she's just head over heels for this guy. Habba, habba. Exactly. And she she's telling everyone, hey, you know, I'm getting engaged to this guy. We're going to be married. He thinks I'm really great. And all of a sudden, Frank leaves. 
doesn't say anything to Ethel. He just goes. They're not married Frank, yet. He just says, no. adios, Ethel. Yeah. You will not yeah, be my, Mrs. Gum. I'm out of here. Yeah. Right. You're not going to be Mrs. Gum. You know, I'm not really, not really feeling it. You know, we're going to go. <laughs> not that into and, Yeah. Yeah. And Ethel, I don't think there's really a record of how she feels. I mean, she's like 15 years old, so I'm sure she's pretty devastated. Um, but you know, she just, she goes on and Frank actually goes to Cloquette, Wisconsin, and he becomes a theater manager. And as will happen throughout his life, Frank is actually pretty quickly run out of town because Frank is actually gay. So that was his first time being run, because I... I knew he was run out of town later down the line. I didn't know he was run out of town at that time. Yeah, he gets thrown out of town a few times. (laughs) Um, And the issue with Frank... That's a shame, though, really. It is, but the issue with Frank is that Frank tends to go with teenage boys. So it's not like he's going with consenting adults. He's going with, like, 15 and 16-year-olds. Yes. So... Yeah, it's just, it's, it's gross. And I know Judy loved her dad and I respect that she loved her dad. And I think he was a very loving father to her, but he also has this very dark side of his personality. Um, but Frankie eventually comes back to Michigan. Um, and he, he marries Ethel and they end up moving to Grand Rapids and they have, you know, their first daughter and he's running a theater in Grand Rapids as well. (laughs) Then they have a second daughter. uh, Oh, sorry. I should have said the first daughter's name is Mary Jane and the second is Dorothy Virginia. And all of a sudden Ethel finds herself pregnant again and she does everything she possibly can to win some miscarriage she does not want this baby nor did frank right no frank doesn't want the baby either um you know she's just like i just i don't want this kid i'm done having kids and ethel's only like 26 at this point it's not like like a battle axe pretty early you know she did she (laughs) she definitely did um she goes on bumpy rides you know through through grand rapids in the hopes that i'll make her miscarry she you know takes basically snake oil in the hopes that it's going to induce a miscarriage i mean she does everything she possibly can besides going to an abortionist yeah sorry what was that grace uh frank had an intern friend and she he inquired about somebody who could help Ethel, you know, yes. but that didn't happen, help. And you know, yeah, help and find yeah. out someone who could help her have an abortion. But right. And the guy says to her, he's like, look, you need to go home. You need to tell Ethel. I promise that she will love this little girl more than anything in the whole wide world. Or, well, he doesn't obviously say little girl. He just says baby. Right. Um, You know, but you like, you need that. She needs to have the baby. And they just kind of relegate themselves to it. And with how driven Ethel is, I'm going to be honest. I'm a little surprised um, because she basically never let anything stop her. So I am genuinely surprised that she was just kind of like, 
okay if he says so. But I believe, from what I've gathered from the few books that I've read about Judy, she's like six months pregnant, so she might have thought, well, everyone in town's going to know. You know what I mean? Yeah, at that point. Yeah, but, you know, she she obviously goes through with the pregnancy. <laughs> Um, and on June 10th, 1922, Francis Ethel Gum, because they obviously could not think of original names for a third daughter, <laughs> is welcomed into the Gum family. Um, and it's it's a very it's a pretty humdrum life for about two years. Uh, but once Judy hits two, Ethel's like, okay, this kid's talented. This kid's able to do something. Um, And so, of course, she puts her in her own training program, you know, a la Lillian Grable. And she's like, I'm going to make this kid a star. This kid's going to (laughs) make it. With a cigar. Yeah, I'm going to make my girl a star. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. The, this kid, this kid just has to do. And one of you know the things Ethel does is she was, or well, she tells Frank that you know little Francis is going to go on stage in between features. And of course, she is a very talented child. And you know, she her her sisters have also been made to perform, but not at the, you know, speed and level that Francis has, but her sisters just really aren't that talented. (laughs) Um, there is not to say they're not talented, but when you're next to, you know, the person who's going to become Judy Garland, it's really hard for your talents to shine. Yeah. Like she's a dynamo already, you know, and then, right. And she's a kid, a baby. So it's a young child and like, Oh, and so they probably felt like chopped liver a little bit, but they did get out. Oh, there. no, most definitely. So they're sitting there, you know, and they're they become the Gum Sisters, and Ethel's catchy you know, name. Yeah, the catchy. Uh, there, there's one newspaper, and it has a typo, and it calls them the Glum Sisters. <laughs> Is that because of bad? Oh, it's a, it's a typo. Okay, it's a typo. <laughs> but I'm just like, God, what a typo! Um, you know, and they they go around and. They're they're a pretty well respected family in Grand Rapids, you know. Frank makes a good income managing a theater. Um, at that time, that was you know a pretty coveted position in Is town. That a movie theater, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, he he managed it because it used to be when they would build these theaters that someone would lease the land and build the theater. So you're dealing, and I mean, sometimes they bought the lot, but it's common to lease the land and they'd build the theater, but they wouldn't want anything to do with like the day-to-day aspect. So then they'd hire somebody to manage the theater. So you, you could potentially have a property owner, the building owner, and then the theater manager. Um, you know, and and Frank, Frank does pretty well. And he eventually, goes in and he buys part of the building. I mean, he he does pretty well for himself. But Frank's habits come back. Um, And Frank is soon found out to be seeing young boys again. He doesn't seem very discreet. Totally found out and run out of town. 
You know, he does, he does okay. He's, you know, sitting there and he'll be okay for a few years, but he gets reckless. Pants and, pants. you know, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, and it, it just, it doesn't go well for understandable reasons. And they're basically run out of town. The whole family. Which I think is, yeah, the whole family that's like, you need to leave. So in 1926, they moved to Lancaster, California. And if people haven't heard of Lancaster, it is a little hole in the wall about an hour north of Los Angeles. I used, I'm originally from Bakersfield and Lancaster's like 45 minutes south of that. And trust me, it's a little hole in the wall still today. I I've never heard of Lancaster. I know La- Lancaster, Pennsylvania, yeah, no. but I've never heard of it in California. So yeah, they moved no, to a pity's place. Does, I'm going to ask you, does Ethel know that Frank likes the little boys, young boys? So she has to know by the time they're kicked out of Grand Rapids. I doubt when they got married that she knew about the incident in Wisconsin. Um, but she has to know by the time they're into Grand Rapids that they, that he has an interest in boys because while they're in Lancaster, she starts having an affair with a man named Will Gilmore, um, which we'll go into that, I guess in a little bit, but you know, she, she has to know, I don't think Ethel is stupid. (laughs) Yeah, um, and you're going to say, why are we run out of town? Why do we have to leave tomorrow? Why are people, you know, going right. to stone us? Why? So I'm sure she knows. Yeah, and I mean, that, that's the other thing with it. Like, they have to run out of Grand Rapids in like a week or two. Yeah, I mean, he really only has time to sell his portion of the theater and get their money to go, and like, that's it. Um but even though there's urgency with their packing, there's really not urgency to get to California. And they go like this long, you know, quote unquote, scenic route to Lancaster. <laughs> and they stop along the way to, you know, what the Gum Sisters perform in vaudeville shows. Um, and during this time, and it's it's more prevalent later, but... It, you really start to see that Ethel is not very good at discerning anything. Like she'll have the kids play at, you know, a really impressive theater one day and the next day they're playing like, you know, at a retirement party at the <laughs> local Elks club. <laughs> Did they have like, Elks clubs? Then? <laughs> yeah. Like she's just, she's not discerning at all. Gambling houses like, too, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, they perform at funerals. I mean, they just, they're performing just anywhere. And she's very, very, you know, she's a very pushy woman and she's a very astute woman in a lot of ways, but in other ways, she's really just very moronic. Or you maybe know? she just didn't care because a buck is a buck and I want to make stars here, you know? Yeah, you know, it, it's possible, but the thing is, you know, like playing at like, you know, the neighbor's funeral, That's you're really sad. not good you're not going to really like get anything from that. Do they tap dance? <laughs> you know, that's really Yeah, horrible. they have like 
they will would be like you know like the reception it's just it's just the thing like they're the gum sisters and this was also for frank too i mean frank would perform it everywhere too which is probably part of the reason why when he was performing with ethel for a little bit their act really you know doesn't go anywhere and frank doesn't really go anywhere what did frank do frank was a singer yeah um, you know, and that that's kind of like their thing. Like it never really goes anywhere. You can really see why, because they're in no way discerning. <laughs> I mean, and like you said, I think a lot of it's just like, well, someone's willing to pay me, so I'm going to do it. But they also do free stuff too that is not helping them in any way. But it's just like I think in their minds, they're kind of thinking, oh, well, someone could be in the audience. And be discovered, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think they really fall for that when anyone <laughs> can be discovered thing, at least at that time. Um, but anyway, eventually they, they go to Lancaster. You know, Frank, again, is managing a theater. He eventually buys part of the theater or something he eventually buys the theater but it's it's a very complicated thing anyway won't, won't go into that but he does run a theater that that's the main thing to remember um and they're there you know and again ethel's taking the gum sisters anything she can take them in um, but in 1928 after they've been there for about a year and a half two years ethel enrolls judy uh with ethel maglin and she runs maglin kitties which is a dance troupe slash dance school and it's just it's it's very you know the studios know when they go to maglin's that they can find talented children and so you know judy's doing that she's going to school and this is really most likely about the time that Ethel starts giving little, you know, Judy, even though she's not technically Judy yet. But this is when she starts giving Judy, you know, uppers and downers. Well, how like, she just wants us, Judy's like nine. <laughs> um, and she just starts giving this kid, you know, uppers and downers. And she's like, okay, you got to get up to work. Okay, you got to work all day. All right, well, you can't sleep. Okay, well, here's this to sleep. Did she do um, it with her other daughters or just Judy? You know, there's really not a whole lot on Mary Jane and Dorothy Virginia. So I do have to say, I wouldn't be surprised if she did. I think that's the best way to put it. Yeah. Um, but, of course, people really focus on Judy because of how, you know, Judy was there. But I'm, I'm sure she did with the other too um and ethel will sit there and you know drive her down to maglin's which is in los angeles is that the one that betty went to betty grable yeah betty went to maglin's for a little bit too but not not that long but she went you know before she got signed and stuff but that wasn't the main one that you know put her up and everything um but Ethel will, you know, drive her, you know, the hour down to Los Angeles. And then, of course, they're also, you know, playing shows at very random locations. Um, and the Gum Sisters do get some attention. Of course, everything's focused on the baby. 
slash Judy. They call yes. her the baby. Um, you know, and they're, they're, people are like, wow, you know, she's so talented. And they do play at a lot of the big theaters there. But again, because Ethel cannot discern anything, they might be playing at, you know, the Paramount one night. And then the following night, she has them, you know, playing for the local Shriners organization. (laughs) Or a bowling alley or something. Yeah. (laughs) Ethel just... and. That look really isn't good for Hollywood. No, it looks so desperate and like you're not really talented if you go to these other kind of places. It's like, why are you going to these, you know, nowheresville if you have this great talent and you're a paramount one night? It doesn't make sense. Exactly. Um, you know, and it's just, it, it doesn't, it doesn't go well. Um Judy will not have fond memories of Lancaster, and it's for a few reasons. Um, the first is Will Gilmore, the person her mother was sleeping with. Um, will Gilmore's wife had a um, bunch of health issues, and she was bound to a wheelchair. Mm. And she also, at some point, I believe it's while she knew them, she had a stroke and she was paralyzed on one side of her body. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, and her name's Laura, by the way, it's easier to just call her by her name. So Laura Gilmore is just not in good shape. Um, and Will Gilmore is just a complete jerk. He will sit there and he will make fun of, you know, <sighs> Judy. He will, you know, he's just a real jerk. He's described as a sourpuss. No <laughs> one really likes him. Um, but Ethel, you know, he, he's basically a male version of Ethel. He's very dominating. He wants to be in control of everything. Um, Judy discovers they're having an affair because the Gilmores have a couple kids, obviously, before Laura had her, you know, health her stroke, issues. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she's, you know, they're playing high and go seek and Judy and her friend Muggsy run into the shed. <laughs> Is it a guy or a girl? I love Muggsy. It's a girl. It's a girl. It's just like, it's a neighborhood girl. I love that. Um, Muggsy and Judy run into, you know, the Gilmore's garden shed and they're going to hide there. And of course they walk in and they find Will and Ethel going at it. In the shed? In the shed. Um, I bet they wanted to barf. Ew. Oh, my gosh. So (laughs) Will starts screaming at them and gets them to go out. And, you know, Judy's just completely heartbroken. Uh, And she, you know, she's crying and she's, you know, having to realize like, hey, my mom cheats on my dad with this man who is horrible to me. Um, Another reason is... Ethel really sequesters her from a lot of the neighborhood children. And it's not like Gertrude Temple, even though Gertrude Temple is far from being an ideal mom. Um, You know, Ethel really makes Judy ostracized. She'll sit there and she's like, you know, you guys can't do anything fun. And understandably, a lot of little kids don't want to play with Judy because they know Ethel is going to be, you know, breathing down their neck to protect her investment. Yeah. So I can't really say that I blame kids 
for not wanting to play with Judy. But I do understand why Judy holds resentment that they didn't want to play with her. I do too. 100%. You know, so it, it's, it's just, it's really complicated. Um, the other thing of course is, you know, Ethel sitting there taking, you know, Judy down to Los Angeles all the time. She wants her to get a screen contract. And what she'll do is she'll go down, she'll take Judy, and then she'll send Judy out of the room for like an hour. Uh Um, You know, and Judy, when she was older, realized that her mom was like sleeping with these studio executives. But of course, when she's like 10 or 11, it's not really hitting her. Um, Yeah, because it's not a shed. (laughs) She knows Ethel, you know, Uh, cheats in sheds. Why would she cheat in an office? Exactly. Um, You know, and and Ethel has an apartment down in Los Angeles. Uh, Just going back to Frank really quick. Frank does make decent money. It's not great money, but it's enough, you know, that they can rent an apartment for a little bit. Um, And, you know, when Ethel gets mad at Judy, She'll sit there and she'll say, I'm leaving, and she'll pack up all of her bags and she'll walk out and she'll leave this little girl in this, you know, apartment, or sometimes it's a hotel room when they have to give up the apartment. Um, you know, either the apartment or the hotel room, and she'll say, I'm never coming back, and she'll be gone for like five hours. What a bitch. I mean, and really, then, this woman is too much. She is, and then, you know, she'll come back and Judy will be all over her and she'll be like, Well, next time I'm not coming back. You know, so Ethel, Ethel is not, one thing though that is interesting, Ethel does not spank her children. She doesn't believe like in corporal punishment. She just gives them Uh, drugs. That's all. (laughs) Right. She gives them drugs and she's, you know, psychologically and verbally abusive to them. But she does not spank her children. Well, sometimes getting Uh, spanked is a lot better than being psychologically tortured and given drugs. You know, a quick Um, swat on the bum bum is better than, you know, drugs and all that. Exactly. Um, you know, and so she just, she does these like really obviously horrible things, um, you know, to Judy and she, she's abusive to everyone though, too, especially Judy and especially Frank. She, you know, just hounds Frank. And I do have to say, I think a lot of her anger towards Frank is because of his sexuality and, you know, them getting run out of Grand Rapids. I I do think that is a lot of it, but Judy is very, very close to Frank. And I think a lot of, you know, Ethel's needling of her and critiquing of her and abuse of her and, you know, just general like anger towards things with Judy is because Judy and Frank are so close to, and I think she looks at Judy as an extension of Frank in a lot of ways. Yeah. But Judy was going to make a lot more money for her than Frank, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, you know, so there, there, there's just, there's a lot there. Um, eventually God bless him, but eventually Frank runs into the same issues that he's had 
and come to find out he's been sleeping with a bunch of high school boys and he's not discreet at all about it. He is for the first, he, he is, you know, for like seven or probably about six or seven years. And then of course he's not discreet about it. And by this point, Ethel and the girls are living in Los Angeles and he had had to sell their house in Lancaster. He was living in an apartment and people, you know, this stuff comes out and people realize like, Oh, it was weird that Frank was always going off with those high school boys and letting them, you know, go to the movies for free. <laughs> I'll give you some popcorn too, kid. What is, yeah. Yeah. How old was Frank at the time? Like 32 or something? 33. Oh no. Frank, Frank would have been like 45. Mm. Frank, Frank, 47 somewhere. He would have been like mid to late forties. Yeah. Um, and people were like, oh, wow, yeah, all of that stuff, like patting, you know, boys on the butt and stuff, that wasn't normal behavior. Um, you know, so Frank, the Grand Rapids, Frank sat there, you know, his stuff came out, he moved. Claquette, obviously, his stuff came out and moved. And Frank just determined not to have that be the case in Lancaster. So he starts releasing these newspaper articles, which I think now we would look at as being the result of somebody who is having a mental breakdown. But at the time they just seemed defiant. And he's like, I'm never going to leave the theater. The theater is mine, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like just all this stuff about how, you know, everyone loves him and he owns this theater and this theater's his pride and joy. And, of course, the people in Lancaster are like, you need to get out. (laughs) So this goes on, though, for, like, several months. He does these newspaper ads, and he's thousands of dollars behind in rent to, you know, the the property owner. But, you know, just he's just he's really far behind on stuff. And then, you know, obviously it's the Great Depression, so some of it's understandable, but the theater, you know, guys just like, yo, you need to get out. <laughs> like, you can't be here. So Frank eventually moves down to Los Angeles and joins them. And he becomes, you know, pretty depressed, which I do think contributes to his death at 1935. If I remember correctly, he's only like 50. Um, you know, and he just... He has a really sad life, but on the other hand, and I know Judy really loved him, but on the other hand, I have a hard time having sympathy for him on things because I'm like... The young boys. Yeah. If you were with adults, I would be much, much more forgiving on this, but you were seeing literal children. Yeah, that's really gross. Um, you know, but of course, Judy has very fond memories of him and she thinks the world, you know, rises and sets on his head. Um, but during this time, you know, Ethel's sitting there working behind the scenes. She's getting the gum sisters as a group act all in a film. And, you know, Eventually, she gets Judy signed on um, right before Frank's death. She she gets Judy signed on. And then after, you know, Frank's death, she's sitting there and she 
gets him on uh, or really starts pushing uh, Judy more than she had pushed while Frank was alive. Because as weak-willed as Frank could be, he did sit there and fight for stuff with Judy. But the moment he's gone, Judy has no barrier between her and Ethel. Yeah, no backup to poor lady. Exactly. Um, And just really quick, because this is a really important detail and I forgot to do it. Um, Frank dies on November 17th, which is also Ethel's birthday. What a present. Um, She probably was like, hey, man, I I wanted a new dress, but Frank died. Yahoo. (laughs) Unfortunately, I bet she was happy. Yeah, no, she just she sits there and she's. She's like, hey, you know, we we got this. But Frank did see her sign her MGM contract, and then he died. Well, at least he um, saw that. I'm glad he was able to. Yeah. Um. So Judy is at MGM, um, and of course they put her on the upper and the downer cycle that you know Ethel had originated for when she was like ten. Um. You know, and they're, they they don't really know what to do with her. Um, he calls her a hunchback. He does. Louis B. Mayer calls her my little hunchback. What a charmer. <laughs> it's horrible. I, I am not discreet. Oh, that's horrible. Yes. But I have to say, when you look at the MGM stars, I can see why she has a complex. You know, she's she's cute. Judy Garland is cute when she is young, but she's not gorgeous. She's no, not she's like Lana Turner. Yeah, she's right. Anyway, right. she's not like Lana Turner. She's not like you know at this time Joan Crawford. <laughs> um, she's not like this gorgeous woman that just evokes images of glamour. She's, she's also just a child, right? She's she like 12, she is. Mm-hmm. Um. But, like, you look at Elizabeth Taylor at 12. Oh, Elizabeth Taylor, yeah. I think at 15 she was totally stacked, and that was her body by that time. Because they said that she loved to go up and down at the the place ate lunch. What do you call that? The, you know, the cafeteria. The commissary. Commissary. And she would, like, like stroll back and stroll forth and see everybody's heads turn. She loved that. Ah, gotcha, yeah. yeah. And, you know, they also sign, MGM also signs Deanna Durbin at this time. And, you know, Deanna Durbin is a very, you know, pretty girl. She and, is. of course, Judy's kind of pudgy. You know, she has a cute face. And I'm obviously not saying this to sexualize a child at all. Um, but this description holds true even when she's an adult. You know, she's... She has a cute face, but she's not gorgeous. She has a very unique face, but it's nothing that you're going to say, wow, you know, that woman's classically beautiful. Um, And, of course, MGM goes for these really just glamorous, you know, women. And I think a big thing with Judy is that her career never would have reached the heights it did if she didn't have MGM but at the same time, it puts a lot of just psychological trauma on her. Um, you know what? I had someone on the show. What was her? Dottie Ponadel and her, or that was the name of her aunt, who was the first unionized makeup artist. And she became like Judy's 
best friend. And it was quite interesting. And I talked, I don't know, someone who was a kid of somebody um, went to a party and Judy was there. She didn't know it was Judy. She said it was. she was older than her and she was a little chubby. And she. this kid was just eating her heart out, having hamburgers, hot dogs, potato chips, ice cream, potato salad. And Judy's like, I wish I could eat that. And, you know, she's like just chowing down and I think she snuck or something. But um, and she felt very bad about it, but she loved it. But isn't that sad? You're a little girl. You're at a party, but you can't eat. You watch all the little kids around you chowing down. Yeah, no, and they they put her on a diet, you know, of basically chicken soup. Yeah, chicken broth um, and what else? Something else. They'll give her they'll give her chicken soup and lettuce leaves. Yeah, poor little. <laughs> and that's you know all she can eat. And when she when she's first there, you know, obviously they don't want her to put it on any weight. The, the really intense diet stuff comes right before um, The Wizard of Oz. Well, she's only 4'11", so... <laughs> yes, yeah. and she she's kind of built like Betty Grable. She's, you know, but Betty Grable is taller and able to keep herself, you know, trimmer because of her build. Yeah. But they're both kind of short-waisted with these super long legs. You know, but as you said, Judy's only 4'11 and a half, and there, anything that she puts on any weight is instantly noticeable five because pounds, of this. Yeah. Five pounds is like 20, but if she was like 5'7, people wouldn't even notice. You know? Exactly. Um, you know, and like you said, Judy's, Judy's surrounded by just these absolutely, you know, gorgeous girls who are going to become stars. And, you know, her main thing really throughout the, I want to say throughout her whole life, but I would say throughout the forties as she compares herself constantly to Lana Turner. And it's, it's easy to see why, because Lana Turner gets, you know, the starring glamorous roles and, you know, they're close to the same age. Um, you know, and Lana Turner gets all of this, like, really, you know, these fun, juicy parts and everything. And of course, Judy is having to play the kid next door. And, you know, Lana's what? Lana's like one year older than her. But Lana was like, um, you know, she was definitely a vixen times 20. You know, she she had it, you know, and she she knew it. And, and Judy, uh, you know, she just was such a kid. Did you know they made her use uh, prosthetics for her nose and for other parts they, of her? They did because they thought her nose was bad, which and they she was too young, obviously, get a nose job. And of course, they cap her teeth. Um which the caps actually, I think, help her, and I hate saying that. No, um, if you need some, they, you know, she's a kid. You get braces, you get caps. You're going to be on right. screen. you got to have your choppers looking good. Well, and the thing is, though, is that MGM never pays to fix her teeth, so people will comment about Judy's teeth, you know, in her later life, and obviously her drug use does contribute to it. Yeah, I saw a lot of it because, mm. yeah, but a lot of it is because her teeth were never fixed because MGM would just throw caps on. So it's it's a very you know it's a very difficult childhood to be you know to grow up with MGM 
um, basically raising you. Because MGM is also obviously going to put her in her school if you want to if you want to call it a school. But it's pretty safe to say that Judy's education ends at like thirteen years old. Well, she was really. Um, don't you think she was noticed? They say because of her singing to Clark Gable, "Happy Birthday." That kind of set her off a little bit. Yeah, no. So she, um, well, MGM signs her in 35 and they really don't put her in anything. Um, they have, they don't know what to do with her. She's too old to be like cute and cuddly, like Shirley Temple. Uh And she's too young, you know, even though Lana Turner is basically the same age, she's too young to, you know, sit there and do these like, womanly roles. Yeah, ingenue, yeah, babe exactly. stuff. Yeah. I mean, Lana Turner's not quite with them yet, but you know what I mean. Yeah. She she can't she can't do that. And they also have Deanna Durbin. So after like two years or not two years, it'd be like a year. After like a year they create this short called Every Sunday, and it's basically a longer screen test to see if they should hold on to her or Deanna Durbin. And they decide to stick with Judy, and they let go of Deanna Durbin, who goes over to Universal, and she instantly becomes a star. A humongous star, yeah. She does. I mean, she saves Universal from bankruptcy. Stories of tin salt.